Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Have you heard? There's a solar eclipse tomorrow morning. One of the most special phenomena on this planet Earth, and it will be visible here in the Bay Area. Let's all just hope it's a good omen. In preparation for the moon passing in front of the sun, we'll talk with astronomer Andrew Fracknoy and Atlantic space writer Marina Corin about the science of solar eclipses and the state of play in our exploration of the cosmos. It's not quite Science Friday time yet on the NPR clock, but we'll all pretend for a day. The final frontier is coming up next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. It's one of my lifelong dreams to see a total eclipse of the sun. No event on Earth seems to provide proof quite as dramatic that what happens out there really truly matters down here. Some of the best, wildest writing I've ever read originates in our moon crossing our star. Annie Dillard, who you might know as a gorgeous nature writer, visited an eclipse in eastern Washington many years ago, and she wrote an essay about it, which I'm going to read you just a, just a piece of here. The sky snapped over the sun like a lens cover. The hatch in the brain slammed. Abruptly, it was dark night on the land and in the sky. In the night sky was a tiny ring of light, for the hole where the sun belongs is very small. Just a thin ring of light marked its place. There was no sound. The eyes dried, the arteries drained, the lungs hushed. There was no world. We were the world's dead people, rotating and orbiting around and around, embedded in the planet's crust while the Earth told down. Our minds were light years distant, forgetful of almost everything. Only an extraordinary act of will could recall us to our former living selves and our contexts in matter and time. We had, it seems, loved the planet and loved our lives, but could no longer remember the way of them. The light was wrong. In the sky was something that should not be there. In the black sky was a ring of light. It was a thin ring, an old, thin silver wedding band, an old, worn ring. It was an old wedding band in the sky or a morsel of bone. There were stars. It was over. I mean, I could actually spend the entire morning reading you this wild essay. But luckily for everyone, we have another eclipse to discuss. It's happening tomorrow morning. You'll be able to see it from the Bay Area. It won't be a total eclipse, just so you know. Uh, Let me introduce our wonderful guests. We're joined uh, first by Andrew Fracknoy, 
astronomer and professor emeritus at the University of San Francisco's Fromm Institute. Welcome. Well, nice to be with you, Alex. Very nice to be with you. Uh, Marina Korn is a staff writer at The Atlantic focused on space. Welcome, Marina. Nice to talk with you again. Great to chat with you. Thanks, Alexis. Um, Marina, you saw the eclipse in 2017, right? I did, yes. And did you, not everyone has the kind of Annie Dillard-esque overwhelming experience. Some people do, but not everyone does. For you, was it more like, oh, that's nice? Or did you, you know, travel through space and time in your mind and arrive back in your body to be on the show? <laughs> I think um, somewhere in between. Uh, I remember I was in um, Tennessee and... I had started out driving from Washington, D.C. to try to find the best place to watch to be in the path of totality, right? Where, um, you know, there was only a strip of land across the United States where you would be able to see, you know, the full effect. And I was driving to one state. I don't remember what state it was and checking the um, weather forecast to make sure that it wasn't cloudy. Because oh, if it's cloudy during a solar eclipse, you're not going to see much, which is disappointing. Ended up shifting plant plans getting to Tennessee and I think the where um the Dillard essay really gets it right is that uh it really did look like a diamond wedding ring hanging in the sky God. right and and that was so surreal but I would say that it didn't you know turn into night often when you read about solar eclipses you you see something like oh you know day turned to night and that didn't really happen it didn't go fully nighttime dark it was more like this really beautiful lavender deep purple color mm. and that was very eerie so i think it was just it was weird it wasn't <laughs> transcendent i mean i had driven to tennessee expecting to be completely changed as a person after the solar eclipse um to have that transcendent experience but i was still the same trash person i was you know, before. <laughs> still snoozing alarms you yeah know, it's, it's, right it's not gonna change you as a person yeah i guess i you know i've always wanted to see it out in the pacific ocean where you'd be like on some tiny island and there'd be no light pollution and you'd just be there with all the eclipse pilgrims you know who've gone there to see it um andrew frackno you i assume you've seen a total eclipse maybe you've seen a bunch I've seen a couple, yes. That's right. And what what was your experience like? Well, I think uh, Marina is absolutely right. The day doesn't quite turn into night, but it's eerie. What happens is in the middle of the day, suddenly it becomes dark. Animals are confused. A hush falls over the world. Uh, the brighter stars and planets become visible in the sky. And... What's absolutely beautiful is to look at the sun itself. This is the only time mm. you can safely look at the sun without hurting your eyes during a total eclipse. And we'll want to talk about yes, what's happening different, tomorrow, right. yeah, yeah, which yeah. is not that. But uh, you can actually, particularly if you have binoculars, see the outer layers of the sun's atmosphere and even begin to see what's called prominences, little essentially tongues of hot material that fly out of the sun and fall back in. Mm. And that's just beautiful. The first time my wife saw an eclipse, uh, she's an artist, and I gave her the binoculars. She refused to give them back. Because <laughs> she was so excited by what it looked like. So there are different types of eclipses. Um, Andrew, tomorrow is an annular solar eclipse, right? What, is, what does that mean, and, and how is it different from maybe some what people might be imagining or hearing about here? Right. So in a solar eclipse, as you said, the moon gets in front of the sun, 
And uh, it's just a great coincidence that a scene from Earth the sun and the moon are essentially the same size. We've actually done studies, and it's not true from any other planet. No <laughs> other planet gets eclipses? No other planet has an exactly equal size. So we want to congratulate KQED listeners for being born on this planet <laughs> where this is possible. Um, and so the problem is that the moon's orbit is not an exact circle. And sometimes when the moon is the more distant in terms of its orbit, it can't quite cover the sun, and it leaves a ring of sunlight around its dark disk. Mm -hmm. And that's what's happening in a narrow path tomorrow, starting in Oregon and going southeastward toward Texas. Mm -hmm. So if you're in that narrow path, you will see what's called a ring of fire, the dark moon in front of the sun, but some of the sun still showing. Uh -huh. But we're not in that path. So in the Bay Area, we're going to see a big bite taken out of the sun, and it's not bad. About 80% of the sun will be covered by the moon here in the Bay Area. So that's a pretty substantial eclipse. And the trick is, we'll talk more about this, I'm sure, is how to observe it safely. Yes. Um, Marina, do you want to kick us off uh, on how to observe safely? Because I think you actually have had some personal experience with what can go wrong. <laughs> I have. Um... Reflected sunlight is no joke. And maybe Andrew can talk a little bit about this, but I have um, a neighbor who's a big space nerd and he has a telescope that he occasionally brings up to the roof at night. And I remember he uh, the, the moon was looking really beautiful one night and he's like, have a look. And I got so excited and I looked directly into that telescope lens and immediately blinded, you know, by, oh, the, no. by the full moon. I don't think it was fully full, but it was... A bright moon and uh my eye was sore for um you know three to five business days after that oh my god really <laughs> that's just Jeez. from looking at the moon yeah yeah so, so yeah what is the right andrew maybe, maybe you can take this one how how do you recommend um people do this i mean there are special glasses those if you can't let's say if you've got your special glasses you're you're probably set right that's correct so there are special glasses and they uh, have a material that cuts out the vast majority of the sunlight and the amount that gets through is safe. Now, uh, there's been a project by the, uh, sponsored by the Moore Foundation here in the Bay Area is where they're located. And they've provided 6 million eclipse safe glasses through 13,000 public libraries nationwide. I've been very fortunate to be involved with this project, but most libraries now report that their glasses are gone. So if today you rush over to your library and the glasses are gone, don't blame the librarian. Blame <laughs> me for uh, being on the radio so late and announcing it. But if you, so if you have those glasses and they should have an ISO standard printed on the back, that's the I organization that makes standards for what's safe. So make sure you have authentic ISO standard glasses. But if you don't, that's okay. Um, there are many safe ways of observing the eclipse. One way is to be with people like, like Marina said she was, who have a knowledge of astronomy. And there is, there are going to be eclipse parties. Uh, throughout the Bay Area. Um, we put together a little website where you can find these eclipse parties tomorrow morning. And that's bit.ly, bit.ly, mm -hmm. B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash 
Bay Area Eclipse. There it is. That's a so that's, that's a very reasonable URL, Andrew. Bay Area. <laughs> I made it simple just for that reason. And that lists places like Stanford, uh, like the uh, Exploratorium in San Francisco, Lawrence Hall of Science. That's where I'm going to be Lawrence tomorrow. Hall of Science yeah. in Berkeley, the Chabot Observatory in Oakland, uh, many smaller colleges, some parks are going to have safe viewing places where they'll have glasses and filtered material. But if they, if you can't get to any of those, if you're just at home, here's my favorite way to see the eclipse. Take out your colander. You know, the, the bowl yeah. that you wash pasta. Drain spaghetti. Yeah. Drain spaghetti. That's got lots of holes in it. Each of those holes could be a pinhole projector. So stand with your back to the sun, hold the colander over your shoulder, and project a shadow through the colander onto the sidewalk. Each of those little holes will project a small but distinct image of the eclipse sun. Plus, if you're standing on the street with a colander over your shoulder, neighbors are going to come <laughs> over and see if you You'll make okay. some interesting friends. Yeah, yeah. and you'll be able to explain that you're watching nature's spectacular uh, with the shadows that are very clear on the sidewalk. So, so that's an easy way to do it. All right, here's the absolute easiest way for anyone out there. Uh, in 2012, my wife and I were caught you know, un unawares that a, an eclipse was coming. And so we literally pulled over to the side of the road when we realized what was going on. And we used, literally, we, we used our fist, you know, with our back to the sun and used just our fist to create like a little shadow. Um, and you can even see it like that. Sometimes you can see it through the leaves of trees, which I also have a photo of. And she has very, very curly hair. And the best thing was her hair got the eclipse shaped shadow um so there's a there's a lot of ways to do it without you know hurting your eyes by looking directly into the sun um we're talking about tomorrow's solar eclipse it's in the morning we're joined by andrew Fracknoy, astronomer and professor at the university of san francisco's from institute also joined by marina corin a staff writer at the Atlantic, focusing on space. We want to hear from you. Have you witnessed a past eclipse? Tell us about it, or do you have questions about what's coming up? The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall -wall Wi Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall -wall Wi Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall -wall Wi Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply, not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about tomorrow's solar eclipse, joined by Marina Corin of The Atlantic, space writer there, as well as Andrew Fracknoy, astronomer and professor at the University of San Francisco's Fromm Institute. 
Well, love your experiences of witnessing past eclipses. The number is 866-733-6786. Or maybe you've got questions about eclipses in general. We have a live and real astronomer on the line who can answer some of those. You can always email forum at kqed.org. And, of course, on the different social things, Instagram, threads, Twitter, we're KQED Forum. And I actually posted some pictures over on the Discord, the ones that I was just describing about the 2012 uh, eclipse and seeing it through my wife's hair, which was amazing. Um, if you want more information on the eclipse that's happening tomorrow, you can go to bit.ly, that's bit.ly slash Bay Area Eclipse, which is the website that uh, Andrew and friends have, have put together. Um, so let's talk a little bit, Marina, about the pre-scientific explanations for, uh, for eclipses and how people thought of them. Like you've written about this in the past. Oh, yeah. I mean, just imagine, um, you know, in an age before um, computers, telescopes, whatever other scientific instruments that, you know, we use today to understand the world. Imagine a time before that you're going about your business uh, mid-morning and all of a sudden the sun disappears. Mm. That is an extremely (laughs) shocking event, right? And so um, what people did at that time was try to interpret it in the same way they interpreted many other things around their lives, right? Through the idea of, you know, um, the gods, you know, mm-hmm. doing something, changing the, the natural world around them. And so um, people back then looked at eclipses as, you know, harbingers of something, perhaps omens. There was a bit more darkness attached to it before we really understood what was going on. Um, whereas now we've just been talking about, you know, the the wonder, the awe of the experience, because um, we don't have to be freaked out, right? And scientists, astronomers like Andrew see this as an opportunity to learn more about um, Earth's upper atmosphere. This is, you know, a great scientific opportunity. But um, much of the history of eclipses has been about, you know, uh, trying to to draw meaning from it. You know, what are, what is the sky? What is the sun and the stars mm-hmm. and the moon? What are they saying about our lives? And so... Um, there, it was a lot more um, mystical and mysterious yeah. than it is today, for sure. You know, um, Andrew, one of the things that's always struck me about these experiences of, of eclipses, the way that it lets you see the rest of the solar system, too. I mean, I remember back, this was in the aughts when I was working at Wired. I read like a story. We published a story back then about someone who'd gone to go see this eclipse and they they saw the other planets in a, in a different way. Um, is that is that has that been part of your experience that it changes, you know, maybe not in the way that it would have with the gods of yore, but it actually does change your relationship to your place on Earth here in the solar system? I think so. And one of the things that I think is really interesting, my students have found interesting, is that, as Marina said, in the past, these were unpredictable and they happened at the whim of the gods. But today we can predict eclipses thousands of years in the future. We can calculate the way they were thousands of years ago. There's a kind of clockwork mechanism by which the sun and the moon move in the sky, which we now understand. And in a a time when so much in the world seems difficult to understand and people are are spreading doubt about the the value of science and, you know, misinformation about vaccines is everywhere. It's nice to know how reliably we can predict Mm -hmm. eclipses and the other motions in the solar system. We can shoot a spacecraft at the planet Pluto and years later it arrives 
just close enough to send us the most beautiful pictures. This gives us both a sense of awe and a sense of, of really feeling like we do understand what's happening in the realm of the planet. Yeah. So before we get to a bunch of uh, calls and comments which have come in, um, let's talk about the next big eclipse that's predicted, right? April of next year? That's right. So uh, if you are interested in seeing the kind of eclipse that that Alexis has been poetic about, uh, we should tell you that this is not going to be the one tomorrow is, is, is this ring of fire eclipse. But nature has very kindly provided a total eclipse for the United States next year. On April 8th, a Monday, there will be a total eclipse of the sun visible in North America. It starts out in, New, in Mexico, makes its way northeastward through Texas, uh, then some of the Midwestern states, goes through upstate New York. In fact, the uh, eclipse is total over Niagara Falls. Oh, you wow. can just imagine the weddings already being planned. <laughs> and then goes into New England and uh, Northeastern Canada. So if you're within that 100-mile path on April 8th, you'll be able to see the kind of spectacular phenomenon that we're talking about. But everywhere else in North America, just like tomorrow, a partial eclipse will be visible. And so once again, 500 million people will be able to look up and see a partial eclipse. So cool. Um, let's get to... First, a question, then an experience. Rebecca in San Jose, welcome. Hi. So I'm going to be flying from San Jose to um, um, Los Angeles tomorrow and during during the eclipse, like at 8 a.m. And so I was wondering if mm. I'd be able to see it from the plane. And then um, obviously I'll have some glasses, but I was just wondering what will it be like in the air? Thanks. So cool. I'd never thought about that. Um, Andrew? Yes. So let's give the times. I don't think we've quite given the times tomorrow. So let's make sure we talk about that. Yes. Uh, here in the Bay Area, it starts at 8.05 a.m. Uh, but at 8.05 a.m., you're not going to see much. The moon is just starting its slow journey across the sun. Maximum eclipse will be at 9.20 a.m. And it will all be over at 10.42 a.m. So a couple of thoughts come out of that, and then I'll answer the question. Number one, you don't need to be there for the whole time. Uh, it's perfectly okay uh, to go there at nine and spend a half hour with the kids safely looking at it, <laughs> and then go back to your business, because it's very slow when it moves in and then moves out. Um, the, other, the other thing about it is that because it's in the morning, you have to have a view toward the east. Many of us in the Bay Area have a big mountain or giant buildings in, toward the mm -hmm. east. And if there's something blocking your view toward the east, so you might want to look right now and see where the sun is for you and to make sure that you can see the sun uh, at about 9.20 uh, tomorrow. Uh, so now to answer the question, yes, the eclipse will be visible everywhere, but where you sit on the plane may not give you a view toward the east. So you're going to need to disturb passengers and make sure you get to the right kind of window, which may not be so possible uh, in a crowded airplane. She's probably flying southwest, so it'll just be like, get to the right side, <laughs> get to the, yeah, the, right. the side that you need. A um, couple of safety questions just want to um, stack up here. Jerome writes, I have an old welder's helmet. Is this a safe way to view the eclipse? 
Uh, that's complicated. Welder's glass generally is not okay, except if it's number 14 or higher. And wow. most people don't have number 14 or higher. That's a pretty strong level of welder's glass. If you know what you're doing and you have welder's glass number 14 or better, that's fine. But let's make sure we understand sunglasses are not okay. Exposed film, if people even remember what that is, <laughs> uh, that's not okay. And so you really do need to get those special glasses. Many places have them, science stores. And as I say, some libraries may have some left. Check check politely with your librarian. And if not, then project an image. Uh, another way to do it is to take a hand mirror, cover most of it with cardboard, leave a hole a little smaller than a dime in the cardboard, paste the cardboard down or tape it down, and then use that hand mirror to project an image onto a wall. And that projected image will be safe to look at. Mm. But make sure everyone, especially kids, don't look at the sun directly, but look at a projected image or, th or at the shadow of a colander, as we discussed. Um, two more safety things here. Uh, Maureen writes, I've heard that you shouldn't look through binoculars with eclipse glasses on as there's too much light concentrated. Is that true? Reed writes in, I'm enjoying this discussion, but I want to point out that if you're using those Mylar eclipse glasses and you look through binoculars, you might melt the Mylar by focusing the sun's rays on the surface. That happened to me while watching the transit of Venus uh, a few years ago. Andrew, more, more detailed safety uh, right. tips. So these were two, if you try to imagine, these were two different instances. One is you have the eclipse, the glasses on protecting your eyes and you're looking through binoculars. The other is that you've got the glasses in front of the binoculars and you melted them. Generally speaking, unless it's incredibly powerful, uh, you can look through binoculars with the glasses on, but um, I wouldn't recommend it because it's it's perfectly okay just to look at the sun the way it is. Do not use those glasses with telescopes, though. It is definitely possible to, to hurt your eyes with telescopes. If you're going to have a telescope, there are special filters made of the same material. And at these star parties that we mentioned, which you can, uh, which you can go to, there will be uh, amateur astronomers and professional astronomers who know what they're doing with specially filtered telescopes, and they'll be safely showing you the sun through those. So interesting. Um, let's uh, let's go back to the phones a little bit here. Uh, Bill in Mountain View, welcome. Hi, Andy. This is Bill from the SETI Institute. Great to uh, hear you on the program this morning. And um, I wanted to uh, first of all just share a couple of experiences with eclipses, really for the point of getting people out there to witness and experience the phenomena, because it, it is absolutely. Uh, a stunning and, and sometimes life-changing experience. I managed to get to Idaho for the major solar eclipse back in 2017 and had also the good fortune to be with a NASA heliophysics team witnessing the eclipse uh, in 20, I think it was 2020 um, in Antarctica, which was an interesting experience because that sun was uh, just rising over the horizon. It was about 5 a.m., and unfortunately, it was a cloudy day, so we could not witness the actual um, transit of the moon's shadow across the sun. But what we could do is see everything go completely dark. And uh, we imagined what it would have been like for people witnessing an event like this as well in the past, where you couldn't actually see what was happening, but suddenly the lights went out. Um, and wherever you are, whether you are able to see a total eclipse 
um, in in clear skies or in cloudy skies, the experience is, is just stunning and breathtaking. Everything gets dark, everything gets quiet, animals respond, the temperature drops instantly, and uh, it's really um, really some something celestial to experience right here on Earth that, that is Absolutely. can be really quite moving and emotional. Yeah. A quick question for Andy that I think would be fun for the listeners to hear about is one of the reasons scientists like to observe uh, the eclipse is it's an opportunity to study the corona, which is the great um, massy, massive um, bit of you know sort of white hair that you see during a total <laughs> eclipse that when the sun is in completely blocked by the moon, you can suddenly see these filaments of, of white light. And what's uh, very strange is that the corona is much hotter than the surface of the sun. The corona is like a million degrees or three million. Andy can give you the right numbers where the surface of the sun is much cooler. And we're not clear exactly why that is the case. And that's yeah. one of the things that uh, is interesting to study about the sun during a an eclipse, so maybe Andy can Yeah, on thank that. you, Bill. Yeah, Andy, talk to us more about yeah. what, what science you actually do, you know, not just, you know, writing essays as, as I might be doing. <laughs> Absolutely. And so just to, to fill in our listeners, Bill is the director of the SETI, or the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence Institute, which happens to be in the Bay Area and is a scientific organization that is actually in the business of searching for life elsewhere. Uh, in the universe. But back to the subject of eclipses. Yes, so the sun has a faint atmosphere around it, a thinner layer of hot gas around the main gas body of the sun. And that's so faint that we don't normally see it. But when the moon obstructs our view of the sun, that faint atmosphere becomes visible. And it was actually discovered during eclipses before we had telescopes that enabled us to see it, which we can today. And as Bill says, this uh, outer atmosphere, it, it, one of the layers, the layer called the corona, is actually hotter than the surface of the sun, which is not right. I mean, as you get further away from things, they're supposed to get colder. Mm. Uh, so we now understand that the sun is actually a giant magnet. It's got a very strong magnetic field, just like the Earth does, but much stronger. And the magnetism in the sun takes the gas as it's erupting from the sun and heats it up in interesting ways. And it is that magnetic heating, we think, that makes this outer atmosphere uh, hotter than the surface. A very complicated magnetic phenomena in the sun, which we're now studying still intensely with spacecraft in, in space and with telescopes on Earth. Wow. I mean, is it still genuinely useful for you to have eclipses at this point? Or is it sort of like, you know, we've got space telescopes, we've got other ways of filtering out the sun. Is is an eclipse really actually genuinely still an important scientific moment? Well, it, it's nice when uh, journalists like you and Marina write about it and get people <laughs> excited about astronomy. That's very nice for us. But yes, to be honest, uh, nowadays we have many other ways of studying the sun. But there is a whole series of citizen science experiments going on about the eclipse. Um, uh, Marina mentioned uh, about uh, animals and and nature kind of changing. And there are going to be experiments, particularly in April, about the total eclipse, where people are going to record what animals are doing and what's happening in nature, and make kind of a worldwide journal of the effects that the eclipse have 
on others besides humans. Uh, but in terms of studying the sun, we can now artificially eclipse mm -hmm. the sun for ourselves. And so we can study the sun in ways that yeah. don't require an eclipse. Um, a couple of uh, other stories coming in of people who've been to see total eclipses, which we will remind people, we're not going to, in the Bay Area tomorrow, we're not going to see a total eclipse. But it's an eclipse, <laughs> and it'll be really interesting. Here's uh, some folks' uh, stories. Hernan writes, uh, I traveled to South Carolina to see the total eclipse in 2017. I had my telescope set up to project it and my eclipse glasses. I was fine right up to the moment. The rational part of my brain was ready, but still when the eclipse came, another more primitive part of my brain kicked into existential terror at the angry sky god eye that was in the darkness above. I can only imagine how it hit our ancestors. Um, what that reminds me of, Marina, is in that Annie Dillard essay, she starts like the beginning of the part of the eclipse. Um, the, the screaming started. I can't remember exactly. But people just start screaming, which you sometimes get with like whale watching too. You know, when you see a whale, if you're whale watching, everyone just starts screaming involuntarily. Um, has that been your experience of, of the eclipses that people just started screaming or was it a, a quieter you were supposed to sort of like, you know, process internally? Definitely. I think I'm remembering the eclipse in 2017 being in this very open field in the middle of Tennessee and it was full of people, right? The path of totality back then was packed. I think, I mean, we were calling it the great American eclipse, right? Yes, it was that's really that was the Atlantic event. package. I think, yeah, <laughs> we did so many stories. Um, and I think, and there was screaming, the crowds were screaming, but I think it was from the anticipation, mm. right? You know, and, and, and seeing finally through your eclipse glasses, the shadows sliding over the sun, right? And it happened so seamlessly and quickly, um, but when it did happen, there was a bit of a hush. Oh, yeah. um, and I would say, you know, to everyone who is going to be experiencing this tomorrow, depending on where you are, it will only last for about a minute to five minutes. I remember the 2017 eclipse was about two minutes long. I would say in that in those minutes, don't take any pictures, right? Just <laughs> bask, look at the sky, <laughs> yeah. feel what you're feeling and, you know, just be a human being on this ball of rock in space. Uh, we're talking about tomorrow's solar eclipse, what we're going to see in the Bay Area. Uh, we're joined by Marina Korn, a staff writer at The Atlantic, and Andrew Fracknoy, an astronomer. Also taking your stories and your experiences. You know the number. It's 866-733-6786. And the email is forum at kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
The Ring of Fire! <laughs> Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about tomorrow's solar eclipse. It's going to begin at 8.05 a.m. The peak, according to Andrew Fracknoy, our astronomer guest, 9.20, and it'll all be over by about 10.42. He has given you permission to only experience part of it. <laughs> you don't have to spend, uh, you know, two hours and uh, 37 minutes or whatever it is um, doing exactly uh this sort of eclipse viewing. Um, we're also joined by Marina Korn, a staff writer with The Atlantic, was part of the team that put together a really spectacular package for The Atlantic in 2017 on the uh, big solar eclipse that happened uh, that year. You can read all about it if you're interested in these things. Um, I'm going to get back to the phones in a second, but there's a few other um, viewing questions that I want to get to, Andrew. Um, Derek writes, can I observe the eclipse safely by taking photos and videos on my iPhone, disregarding Marina's advice, so long as I'm only looking at the screen? No. Please be very careful. Um, you, you could, the, the, if you want to take, first of all, it'll be just too bright. Uh, it's like trying to take a picture of your uh, of the sun through your cell phone. Mm -hmm. You know you can't you can't do that. Now, an astronomer named Douglas Duncan at the University of Colorado has invented a filter called Solar Snap, which you can snap onto your cell phone with an app. It reduces the intensity of the light, and you can take beautiful pictures of the eclipse using this app it's called solar snap but i don't know where you're going to be able to get it in less than a day you can order it from the same companies that make these glasses um, oh it's a, it's a piece of physical hardware got it's it it's a piece of physical hardware and an app to help your cell phone do that but please don't use your cell phone to take pictures of the of the right. sun when it's uh even partly eclipsed it's still too bright okay okay another safety question trish writes is a sextant telescope okay for eclipse viewing and also what is a sextant telescope yeah a sextant is not a telescope a sextant is a is an instrument that shows us angles in the sky back before telescopes we had ways uh, of getting to know the sky by measuring the angles that the different uh uh objects in the sky made uh but uh there are viewers on sextants but no uh, that's definitely not don't safe. Look through there. Okay. No, don't please don't look at the sun directly. That's the message we want to give you. Yeah. Either make a projected image of the sun, or uh, have the proper safety gear for your eyes. Exactly. <laughs> Got it. Uh, another listener writes. I uh, have Eclipse paper and film viewing glasses provided by Starnet from the August 21st, 2017 eclipse. The instruction states: Do not use after three years. They've been kept in an indoor office space. Are they still safe? Yes, the, the, we've done tests on those 2017 eclipse glasses, and they are safe if you've kept them in a safe place. The biggest problem is that they, the plastic crinkles and can break, and then there's an opening in mm. them. So please check carefully. If you have glasses from 2017 and they are intact, and you haven't spilled any uh, soup on them or done anything to damage the plastic, uh, the tests have shown that they're okay to use, but be sure they're intact. And also, if kids are looking through the glasses, make sure the glasses are securely on their ears and cover their eyes completely and that they don't play with them while they're looking. Yeah. Um, I love this poetic description. A listener writes in to say, I'm a professor of astronomy, and I had the great opportunity to see the total eclipse of the sun that happened a few years ago. 
uh, through northern Georgia when I was traveling. The experience is something you'll never forget. The silence, the darkness, here it comes. It was like the earth gasped. If you have the opportunity, don't pass it by. It's a very rare event, one you'll never forget. Um, if you want to see that one, remember, that's going to come in April of next year, April 8th. This is going to be a partial uh, eclipse that we're going to see here in the Bay Area specifically, but it still can can be a wonderful uh, experience. Let's go uh, back to the phone. Let's go to uh, John in Petaluma. Hey, good morning, everybody. Um, Mark Twain, the very same who wrote Huckabee and uh, Tom Sawyer, wrote a very cool book about eclipses, peripherally about eclipses, called A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. <laughs> and uh, the deal was that the, the, the guy was from the 19th century. He gets clunked on the head in an industrial accident. Gets, he falls asleep, basically, wakes up, and he's actually in King Arthur's Court, dressed <laughs> like in the 19th century. So he's a, he's a stranger in a strange land. And the plot point revolves around him knowing enough about astronomy back then to predict a solar eclipse, and it saves his life because he, he says, son, go away. And then, then the people are freaking out, and they said, please bring it back. Son, come back. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, astronomy doing what it does, it just uh, did it. And that's one of the, the plot points of that novel by, by Mark Twain. Uh, that's and great. oddly enough, astronomically, really quickly, he was born on the day that Halley's Comet was first, not, I don't know, first seen, but seen, and he died 76 years later exactly on the same day. Oh, my God. I did not know that about Mark Twain. Odd, odd, odd thing. Yeah. Thank you so much, John, in, in Petaluma. Wow, this is yeah, a great call, a great series of stories. And a great lead-in, Andrew, to this question, which is, after the eclipse next year, which we're clearly preparing you for, um, there's not going to be another one in North America for a long time, right? Yeah, when's the next one, and when, why is it that we're not going to get one for quite some time? So I looked it up because I knew you were going to ask me this question. The next total eclipse visible in the continental United States will be August 12th, 2045, mm -hmm. 2045. Do you so, just have a big book of eclipses? It's just like a series of eclipses for the next 10,000 years. Yeah. Plus, I have websites I can look also it up. Also that, I guess. Yeah. But, but yeah. So and the, the reason is that eclipses can happen anywhere in the world. Every six months or so, the orbit of the moon and the orbit of the sun, as it appears in our sky, cross, and we have something called eclipse season. And it's during those eclipse seasons that we have eclipses of the sun or eclipses of the moon possible. But they can happen anywhere on Earth, and the Earth is a big planet. Uh, Two-thirds of it is covered by water. So most of the time, the eclipses don't have the courtesy to fall where you want them to. They fall in different places. And so it, it's rare that what we're experiencing this school year happens, that in the same school year, we have an October eclipse over the United States and an April eclipse over the United States. Andrew, I also appreciate that you've been a professor for so long that school year is the, <laughs> I love it. You're like, who needs a calendar year? I have, yeah, yeah I have astronomical events and I have the school year. Um, let's uh, bring in Bryn in uh, Union City. Welcome. Hi, thank you for taking my call. So I know that you mentioned earlier uh, this 
um, eclipses, they have an effect on um, animal and human behavior. And I was trying to understand, we know that uh, geomagnetic storms and solar flares, they also influence the circadian rhythm. And I was going to ask, is it going to be any type of research to see how this could affect uh, our health and also um, behavior, but also any type of correlation and influences on the microbiota? Hmm. Interesting. Bryn, thanks for uh, that. I'll add in um, Marsha writing in to say, we were in Ohio to see family and drove to Liberty, Missouri. It was eerie to have darkness fall at noon and hear birds and, and other animals respond. And Andrew, I think I'll, I'll take this one to you of like, what do we know about the kind of disruption that this is for, you know, let's say all mammals, uh, humans inclusive? Well, I think I think the main thing is to re- reassure our listener that no, this is this is simply a cover up in the sky. This is not something that affects the 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 large scale interactions or the safety of anyone. Um, it does, you know, it, it's the same idea as night falls. When night falls, things get a little cooler. It gets darker. And this happens in the middle of the day so that uh, animals that are aware of things like this are shocked. My stomach says it's not nighttime, but the sky says it's dark. What do I do? Do I go back to the nest? Do I stay here? So it's complicated for them. But in terms of the biota or the, the geophysical environment, no, there's absolutely nothing to worry about. Um. Here's a question, and Marina, maybe you've talked with folks or uh, about this. If it's cloudy on an eclipse, uh, which it may be in, in a lot of the Bay Area tomorrow, there may be problems seeing it. Um, does it still have an effect? Is, it still like, is there still an experience of it um, that people have described? I mean, that's a good question. I just, I remember very actively avoiding the clouds in 2017. <laughs> so yeah, 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 my... yeah. Transcendent experience. Uh, uh, I'm not sure. Maybe there is some um, a darkening that you can you can. Yeah, see. that's yeah. a good Andrew. Like how much? Like let's say that you're just packed under some fog or or clouds tomorrow. What will you experience of the eclipse then? Well, so this is this is this may actually be a realistic question for those of us in the fog-bound Bay Area, right? So it may well be that it's clouded out. My suggestion is it lasts a long time, you know? So if it, it's cloudy one time, uh, please come back and check with us again. Maybe the sky will clear. But if there really is full cloud cover, um, you, you may not even be aware of it uh, because, as I say, this is not a total eclipse for the Bay Area. This is only going to be a partial mm-hmm. eclipse. If you're missing it, here's what you can do. NASA and the Science Museum in San Francisco called the Exploratorium have an ongoing uh, contract to simulcast, a live cast every eclipse. So if you go to NASA TV tomorrow morning or if you go to exploratorium.org, there will be live simulcasts of the eclipse from places where it's not cloudy. They've set up in several places to make sure that they can have. Uh, that's not the same thing as watching it live if you see it on TV or on your computer screen. But if you're really primed for eclipses and it's cloudy here, check out exploratorium.org. 
Um, let's bring another caller, John in Fremont, with an interesting question. Welcome, John. Hi. Um, yeah, my question is, why do uh, some eclipses last longer or shorter than others? Say, like, if I wanted to go somewhere and get my, the biggest bang for my buck, how can I tell how long that uh, eclipse is going to be? Thank you. Thanks, John. Andrew? Well, the short answer is geometry. Um, the angle at which the shadow comes in, the shadow during a, an eclipse is a small spot on the earth. And the angle at which it comes and where you are determines how long you get to see it. The total eclipse in April is going to be a nice one. In some places, it'll be longer than four minutes, which is better than the one in 2017. Um, so uh, this is something that you can actually look up. I want to recommend one more website, if I may, uh, timeanddate.com. Just all the word, words together, timeanddate.com. It's a wonderful website all about sky information. And they have a section on eclipses. You can go there and look up any eclipse of the future, put in the name of any town in the world, and it will tell you in everyday language how long it will last, when it will happen, what kind of eclipse it'll be, etc. So that's one way that you can be an expert astronomer. You can go to time and date, go to the eclipse section, and look up any eclipse from any place to see what it's going to be like, how long it will last, and where the best place is to be. Yeah. Um, do you have plans, Andrew, for next year's total eclipse, which, you know, it will be cutting that kind of diagonal up through Texas into the Northeast? Yeah, yes, I do, but they're classified. No, I'm, I'm <laughs> uh, but, but yes, we, despite our political inclinations, we're going to Texas uh, because we, one of the things that, that you heard is that weather matters. And for next April, April 8th, the further north you are in the United States in April, the more likely cloud cover is. So Niagara Falls may be a beautiful setting, but it may be cloudy. So being further south, particularly being in Texas in the United States, that's the place it's most likely to be clear. I um, I saw that it looks like it's going at least close to San Antonio. That seems like the place to to fly into, um, at least in that southern southern part of the U.S. Um, Marina, are you going to go now that you've seen one? Have you? Are you sort of like, well, you know what? I got my fill of eclipses in this lifetime. No, I need more <laughs> <laughs> because, like the many of us uh, on this call and who are listening, we're probably going to live the rest of our lives out right here on Earth. Right? We're not headed to the moon or to Mars. And Alexis, you said something earlier about eclipses being a way to see the solar system, and I think that's that's exactly right. It's a way to experience the universe around us. Um, so I definitely, um, I'm going to make some plan. I think I'm already behind. I've been talking to mother space reporter friends and they say that hotels along the path of totality are already getting booked fast. So if really? you want to be in the path of totality, um, for 2024, um, book your travel now. Um, if you're lucky, if you live in it, that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, but I would say, again, I would, my advice would be to really bask in the moment because um, Andrew said that the we get a good chunk of time next year with next year's eclipse. And that chunk of time is four minutes and four minutes go really fast, especially when you're, you know, in a state of shock and wonder and excitement. So um, definitely live in it next uh, year. Yeah, I'm so, I, 
you know, I hadn't been planning on it. And then we started working on the show. I started going back through, you know, that Atlantic package and reading that Annie Dillard essay and watching your talk at the Commonwealth Club, which I'd like to recommend to, to everybody if you want to, you know, get get fired up about eclipses. Um, Andrew Fracknoy's talk at the Commonwealth Club is, is fantastic. And I now think I'm ready to begin the process of convincing the rest of my family to try to go to, like, yeah, uh, southern Texas um, in April of 2024. So it's exciting. Um a listener on Discord writes, We traveled to Oregon to see the total eclipse in 2017. Just as everyone says, it was awe-inspiring, jaw-dropping, jumping up and down and saying, Wow, 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 and OMG, OMG, over and over. My pictures weren't so much of the eclipse itself, but interesting ones of the people. The scenery during totality, the partial eclipse shadows made through the mesh of hats and other materials. It was a terrific experience. Strongly recommend getting out there to look and admire the majesty of the solar system and our small place in it. We may or may not get great conditions tomorrow, just so everyone knows. But just so you know, 8.05 a.m. is when it starts. 9.20 a.m. is when it peaks. 10.42 is when it's going to be over. You can go to bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash Bay Area Clips to get more information. You can stream it from the Exploratorium or NASA TV if we do get a foggy, cloudy day. Uh, last thing, Noel on Discord writes, Tatiana Maslani starred in a short film called Souls of Totality, which was filmed in real time in Oregon during the eclipse of 2017. It's on YouTube, and she saw it at the CineQuest Film Festival. Thank you so much to Marina Corin, space reporter at The Atlantic, my old friend. Thanks, thanks for joining the show. Anytime. Thanks for having yeah. me. And thank you, Andrew Fracknoy, legendary astronomer and professor here in San Francisco. Thanks for joining us. You bet. And let's wish clear skies for all our listeners. <laughs> the 9 a.m. Hour of Forum is produced by Blanca Torres, Grace Wan, Jennifer Ng, and Dan Zoll. Our interns are Jericho Reininger and Amico Oda. Marlena Jackson Rotondo is our engagement producer. Francesca Fenzi is our digital community producer. Judy Campbell is our lead producer. Our engineers are Danny Bringer, Catherine Monahan, and Christopher Beal. Our vice president of news is Ethan Tovin Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. You knew we were going out to Total Eclipse of the Heart. You knew it. You know me. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for the next hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim. Once upon a time there was light in my life, but now there's only love in the dark. Nothing I can say. Of the Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.